The big friendly giant. Hey, Pastor Dan. Uh, our big friendly giant. Uh, which, uh, hanging out with Dan is way more interesting than watching this movie for two hours, let me tell you. Uh, it's actually, uh, there seems to be a divide. Who's, who saw the movie? Okay, out of you guys, how many of you like the movie? See, that, that, that's it. So, is anybody here who actually read the book and saw the movie think it was a good movie? Yeah, three or four. So, and this is, this is what I think. Uh, like, I think Steven Spielberg missed the heart of the movie, that, that the, the movie and the heart of it was that, uh, and I think it's something we all can resonate with, is, is there was these two really like outcasts from two separate worlds. You had Sophie, who was the 10-year-old orphan. And not only was she not part of kind of traditional culture because her parents uh, passed away and she was in an orphanage, but she was different even in the orphanage. And just that tension uh, that we feel in when we're surrounded by people, but, but we are lonely and, and we feel like we're separated, not part of, of the normal uh, just flow of the culture that we're in. And then BFG, the big friendly giant, you know, uh, he lived in giant world. And, and he was surrounded by nine, nine other gi uh, giants, but he was very different uh, as well. In fact, they would uh, tease him and call him Runt. And even though he was a giant, just the perspective thing that everybody else thought he was a giant, but in his world, he was this, this Runt. And, and I think that that tension is universal. I think, you know, no matter who you are, you've experienced that somewhere in, in life. Now, just because it's kind of fun, I wanted to, there was nine other giants uh, in Giant World. I just wanted to read their names because they're kind of fun names. Uh, there was Flesh Lump Eater. I know. Bone Crusher. Man Hugger. <laughs> Child Chewer. Meat dripper, that just sounds disgusting to me. Meat dripper, gizzard gulper, maid masher, blood bottler, and butcher boy. Hey, butcher boy, can I have a lamb chop, please? So, I don't know about butcher boy or man hugger. They don't seem very scary, but... I don't know, maybe that's just me. But in this movie, I believe perhaps the most significant theme uh, while I was watching the movie that I thought that Steven Spielberg did do a good job of bringing out was this idea of dreams. And in the movie, uh, Sophie said that she didn't dream. And, 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 she just kind of lived in this kind of this, this world of day-to-day -day existence. And one of the big things that BFG did was try to go out of his way and collect dreams and to share dreams with, with other people and to give life to people through these, these dreams. 
and and uh, really the nine other giants in his world, and 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 the and the orphanage in Sophie's world were trying to crush their dreams to to make them kind of exist in the day to day and rob or steal them from experiencing something bigger, from moving from their status quo into a brighter future. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you think about dreams and, you know, people say, well, he's just a dreamer or, or something like that. But dreams really, uh, a lot of times, at least the way I was thinking about it and I think the way the movie portrayed it is dreams uh, of a better tomorrow is something very unique in the human experience and dreams are different than hope. That, uh, at least in the context of, of the movie, that, that hope is like, well, I hope something gets better. I hope something changes where, where dreams are a little bit clear. That, that dreams um, are a way that, that, that really kind of uh, harnesses or gives direction to our hope. In fact, I was thinking about this as far as a metaphor that dreams are really, uh, dreams set the heading on our life's compass. So say that you're, you know, you're going out and you just, you, your life doesn't really have any direction. You really don't know what you're going to be doing tomorrow or the next day, that there's nothing that, that you think about that makes your heartbeat beat a little bit faster or, or, or instills passion in you or others. And you're just kind of going until you see a vision in the future that you're willing to sacrifice for, that, that you know, you have a dream of the future that, that will change the paradigm, change the status quo, and it, and it changes your whole world. And really, when you think about it, you know, dreams, you know, is your, your compass is just kind of going around and around and around without any directions, is that dream sets that heading. That, that sets your agenda in order for you to achieve it. You know, the funny thing about dreams or a vision for the future is that they're always opposed. Always opposed if you act upon your dreams. Not by everybody, but by some people. They are opposed because they disrupt the status quo. When you have a dream for a different future, there's a reason that the present is the way it is. And if you have a dream for the future to be something different, it's going to disrupt that. And people, a lot of people do not like change. Especially, actually people love change if they're making it, but people who are not making the change hate it, right? I mean, that's really, people love change. They have change all the time. They get married, they're happy with that change. They have babies, they're happy with that change. They get a new higher paying job or a raise. You know, that's change. You like it. But, but if you don't uh, impose upon it yourself, then you don't like it. You know, I was thinking about this and thinking, well, what's the difference? Like, why do some people embrace change and, and dreams for the future? And, and why do some people resist it? And I, and I think when I was reflecting back on my own life, that that really all of us kind of move between four different uh, stages in life as it, as it relates to dreams. And 
Some of us spend an awful lot more time in one part or the other, but I think at one point or another in our lives that we move back and forth. Number one, that uh, we are actively pursuing a dream. We know what change we want to see. We, we have a vision that, that creates passion in our lives. It gets us up in the morning. It's the last thing we think about when we go to bed, that we are all in on a dream. The second place that, that we find ourselves in is that we've achieved like a big dream and, and now we're just waiting or looking for another dream, a dream to join onto or, or a dream uh, of our own. The third is that we have settled and we don't dream anymore. To me, perhaps this is the saddest point where we finally say, well, that's all there is. That's all life has to offer. We're not depressed, but we're just, we've, we've settled. This is the type of life that I'm always going to have. It's, I'm not going to be able to uh, uh, help anybody. I'm not going to be able to help myself. I'm not going to be able to make this world a better place. Just kind of just settled. This is just the way it is. And I'm just going to be here until I die. And then the fourth place is despondent, where you're just hopeless. You have no dreams. You, you feel completely powerless. You, this, is not, this is below settling. You know? So the four things is you're actively pursuing a dream that you uh, or are waiting for a new dream or you've just settled and you're, you're just not looking anymore or you're despondent. And honestly, personally, I was thinking about it. I've been all of these. I usually am actively pursuing a dream. That's just my personality. And if I'm not actively pursuing a dream, I'm actively waiting for another dream. That's just kind of me. But I have been despondent. I was despondent when I was 24 years old. And, and I had a dream of, of acquiring a certain uh, uh, type of success in this world that the world said would make me happy. And when I achieved uh, uh, that, I was, I was despondent because I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled and really changed the course. I'm like, I need a new dream. And, and, and Christ gave me a new dream for my life, which you know, resulted in my family and I moving to Tallahassee and planning E3 and, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, so we move back and forth uh, on that. And hopefully today that you'll be encouraged to, if you're despondent, to believe and know, hey, you know what? There if we turn to Christ and we seek out Christ, that he can give us a new dream or we'll able to join with somebody else's dream. Or, or uh, you know, if you, you've settled that it's like, you know what, we don't have to just settle for what we have. That Christ says he came to give us a rich and abundant life. And that if our life isn't rich and abundant, that that's, uh, that, that we can have that if we pattern our lives after Jesus. So as I was thinking about dreams, I actually came across uh, two really cool stories about dreams, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, and they're both about two different guys with the same name, Joseph. There's Joseph of the Old Testament, and there's Joseph, uh, a husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So if you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, 
starting in verse 5. And if you're familiar with the story of, of Joseph, Joseph had an amazing life. A life of ups and a life of downs and, and just kind of crazy. So it says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low behind me. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? You actually think you will reign over us. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and the way he talked about them. Now, I have an older brother. My older brother's name is Russ. And I can just tell you, if I went to Russ and I said, brother, I had a dream. I had a dream that you were going to bow down to me. It would probably end up with him pounding me down. And uh, uh, so I understand this. But also I think it, it's kind of interesting, and I think this is important to notice. We can have a God-given dream and, and actually execute it very, very poorly, right? God gave Joseph this dream, but kind of in the undertone, you kind of sense that he was a little immature and unwise about how he shared that dream, that, that maybe he was a bit pompous about it, and, and their, his brothers did not appreciate it. But he didn't learn from that. Verse 9, soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars, he had 11 brothers, bowed low before me. You got that? The sun, the moon, 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. Excellent idea. But the father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. Okay? So we have this, this picture, but if you know your, your Bible stories, that, that you'll remember that, that Joseph actually ended up saving his family, actually ended up saving uh, millions of people. Um, but the path for him to get there was, was, well, if you remember, you know, Joseph's like, I had a dream. And they're like, oh, look, here's a, here's a pit, you know. And, oh, hey, there's some slave traders. Let's sell Joseph into slavery. Hey, Joseph trying to do, you know, make the best of it. Hey, you're going to prison now and all of this kind of stuff. It actually kind of reminds me, uh, back in the early days of E3, uh, really the first year, first three years were really tough. Uh, uh, we tried to, uh, we were trying to do a lot of things on a very, very little, uh, with very, very little. And, and it was hard. And I remember uh, somebody who was going to the to the church at the time, they came to me and they said, Mark, if God is in this, 
Why is it so hard? And it kind of, it's always stuck with me because I, I, I've often wondered, you know, why do we think that if it's a God-given vision or dream that, that it's going to be easy? In fact, quite the opposite we see in the scripture, right? That in scripture we see that there is great opposition to the good news being proclaimed. In fact, the more successful you are in it, the more opposition that you are going to come up against. Now, some of that is self-imposed, like Joseph and kind of being boastful in front of his brothers and not sharing the vision and the dreams very well. But also, you know, in the case of Paul, you know, he goes and talks about how he was shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and all of these kinds of things and, and whipped for the gospel because of the good news. And the reality is that we think that, you know, we, we have, if we get a God-honoring vision from God, we get a dream from God, and it sets the course for our lives that we're going to go straight there. But the reality is there's going to be storms. There's going to be pirates, you know. There's going to uh, be sea monsters, you know, along the way to stop us from achieving the vision that God has for our lives, and our job is not to look and look for perfection um, as, as confirmation, but our job is to relentlessly pursue uh, the vision that God has for our lives and to work diligently in making his dream for our life a reality. You know, I think about dreams and, and, and really E3 and, and the ministries of E3 we're all born as what I believe was a God-given dream to, to me many, many years ago. You know, when my family and I were in um, uh, Los Angeles and we, we were working in the family business, or I was working in the family business, leading the family business, and, and Jesus invaded my life and, and said, I want you to go. I want you to start a church where faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet that and I had no idea where, and, and started searching and, and joined up with a group of people here in Tallahassee, and, and we launched the church. And <clears throat> one of the things that have always been really, really important to me is that we would be the tangible hand of Christ. It's great that our hearts believe and we worship God, but it's always been important to me that we put our hands to work, that we, we were doing tangible ministry locally and globally. But like I said, in the early days, it was really, really difficult. There was not any resources to do that. And that's why, and I don't know if you know this, but that, that was the birth of our ministry of, of Red Eye Coffee, that that we hooked up with uh, some other partners and we started bagging coffee like the, and, and we started selling it like the Girl Scouts sell cookies, right? And we would give all the proceeds to, to missionaries and, and global initiatives. And when we got our first building over there on Mayhem, and we were, you know, doing these, you know, just little... Uh, uh, bags of coffee, and, and the slogan back then was Red Eye uh, Coffee with a Soul. And, and we were uh, in, the, in the bar of our, of, our old, of our old church. Those of you who uh, 
weren't in the old church. It, it was an old restaurant, so part of it was a bar, and we changed it into a coffee house. And, and uh, there was a guy who used to be on staff. He's a dear friend named Justin Barfield, and, and, and Justin and I were standing in the bar, and I told Justin, I said, Justin, I believe someday that Red Eye is going to be identified as the best coffee house in Tallahassee. And I also believe that, that if we're diligent, that we will be able to transcend the church uh, world and actually gain the attention and respect of, of uh, secular organizations um, around our city. And, and I remember him looking around and, and just saying, what are you talking about? You know, it's like you've sold 10 bags of coffee, you know, like the Girl Scouts. And, and, and you know, and, and eight of them was to your mom, you know. And, and, and I don't know where it came from. I believe it was from God because there was no, I didn't, I didn't know anything about coffee. I didn't know anything. Um, I didn't come to Tallahassee to sell coffee. All I knew was here was an avenue to be the tangible hand of Christ. And I just believed, I just felt in my bones that God was in it. Well, it's, you know, since then, you know, a lot of you know that we had the opportunity to open up a brick and mortar in, in Midtown. And God, you know, has been using that. And then, and then uh, you know, a few years ago in the Tallahassee Magazine, uh, named us Best of Tallahassee. And I remember calling up Justin, uh, and, and I'm like, Justin, he's like, I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm like, do you remember? He's like, I remember. And, uh, and, and it, was just, it was just this awesome thing. And it has been unbelievable to me the past really 18 to 24 months of what God has been doing uh, through through Red Eye, it, uh, you know, what started out as being able to give, you know, 10, 20, $30 to uh, global initiatives, you know, became a few hundred dollars, became a few thousand dollars, and now we're doing tens of thousands of dollars uh, every year. And I believe that it's going to turn into hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars someday. In fact, I had, I had a dream last night it was so weird. I don't even know what it means. But there was this green mermaid <laughs> bowing low before a red-eye frog. I have no idea what that meant. But, uh, but I, I wish I had the time to tell you how many cool things have happened because of this ministry that, that was born, I believe, in the, in the heart of God. That, that I have been invited to speak in so many different places. And I always tell people when I'm invited to speak about the story of Red Eye, I say, I cannot tell the story of Red Eye unless I share the story of Christ because they are intertwined. And every single time they have said, yes, come. That uh, I have had the opportunity to interact and, and, and challenge other uh, missionaries and, and, and what I'm calling spiritual entrepreneurs to think about ministry differently. And it's so amazing to me that just God's timing, that, that yesterday, little red eye 
was on the front page of the Tallahassee Democrat. I don't know if you caught this. So, and, and this, uh, if you haven't read it, it starts out, Mark McNeese and friends started Element 3 Church 14 years ago. I know it was 13 years ago, but whatever. 14 years ago. And it goes on and it starts talking about all the things that, that our church has done in our community and, and throughout the world. Only God can do this. Do you understand that God has entrusted to us this little jewel? And, and where the world has closed their, their hearts and their minds to churches and the gospel, they have opened their hearts to coffee and they put it on the front page. Only God, only Jesus can do that. You can't design that, you can't buy that. That is merely from the grace of God. God is moving. And I believe that God is going to use this work in a mighty and powerful way. And the, I, you know, those of you who know me know that, I, you know, I believe that our country is changing and we're going to have to get a lot more creative and we're going to have to get a lot more uh, uh, just strategic about how we're going to move into the future. And I'm excited about it. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18, 18 through 21, um, it talks about the other Joseph's dream. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. What did Scripture say, or who did the Scripture say Joseph was? He was a good man. He was a good man. And you know what this good man was going to do? He was going to break off the engagement quietly. Why? Well, number one, you know how people don't become pregnant when they're virgins like in the 21st century? Well, that didn't happen in the first century either. All right? So Joseph was like, you know what? I'm out. But you know what? I'm not going to disgrace you. I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm going to do this quietly. And even though you made a mistake, Mary, you know, and we're going to part company, I'm, I'm going to do this quietly. He was a good man. And I'm sure that he had good plans and a good vision for him and his family. He probably had a vision that he was going to marry Mary and that, that, you know what, he was going to work as a carpenter and that they were going to raise a family. And that's a good plan. And it's a nice plan. And it's a God-honoring plan. 
But God had a different plan for him and his family. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is such a critical thing to understand about God honoring dreams. They require us to sacrifice the present for the future gain of the gospel. That's just the way it is. That he had to let his dream die of, of being a, a husband and a father of his own children in order to grab onto a better dream of being the steward of the savior of the world. And so many times we have to let the good go in order that we can experience the great. And that is what Jesus has envisioned for us and our lives. You know, I think about this being the last day that I'm the lead pastor of Element 3 Church. Um, you know, we have the business meeting and Pastor Eric is gonna uh, assume role of, of being the lead pastor. I got to tell you, I love being the lead pastor of Element 3 Church. I love this church. It is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And, and really coming to that point that, that, that saying, you know what? Am I going to let the good, am I going to settle? Am I going to let the good become the enemy of the great? Do I believe that God is doing something larger than what I have personally experienced or seen? And the reality is that I'm excited about Eric fulfilling his dream of being a lead pastor, that I think he will be an amazing point leader for this church. I am excited to follow him as my spiritual leader. And I am equally as excited to do put my energy and my passion into uh, helping fulfill the vision that I believe that God has put in my heart to be a sustainable revenue source for gospel initiatives locally and around the world that our church cares about. And together we will come and yes, you know what? It may look different than anybody's ever done before, but you know what? It was different when the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. It was different when Moses walked through the Red Sea. It was different when Peter walked on water. It was different when Jesus healed people who were blind or deaf or dumb and, and lame. So what's wrong with different? We say, God, you know, we sing songs about God, we want something new. Well, guess what? God has given us something new and a dream that, that, you know what? We can have a biblically healthy church 
that, that enriches the, our, our, our families here and our children here, but also getting out in the world and, and, and being the tangible hand of Christ. And it will be an amazing testimony. Not only what the body of Christ can do, but what a local church can do when they surrender themselves to the will of Jesus. Dreams set the heading for our life's compass. I just want to end with this because I think it's really important. I think I actually started my ministry with this as well uh, as, as lead pastor of Element 3, and that's uh, uh, the Great Commission. That we as followers of Jesus have been commissioned by our Lord and Savior to go and make disciples of the nations, to baptize them and teach all the commandments that Jesus has taught and to remember that he is with us to the end of the age. And you know what? There are going to be tough times with, lead, uh, with, with Eric as the lead pastor, and there's going to be tough times, you know, with Red Eye, and there's going to be tough times with the property. But that doesn't mean that God is not in it. That means that the forces of hell are opposing it. And we know from Scripture that the gates of hell will not prevail. That we will, maybe smelling like smoke and a little singed, be able to bring the love of Christ to every dark corner of this globe that the Satan thinks is a stronghold. The gates of hell will not prevail. You guys pray with me. 